0: You're listening to House on Fire, a youth-focused podcast that is going to wake up every single listener to embrace urgency and agency in this climate crisis.
1: The wheels of industry are turning. Methane has a lifetime of maybe a decade in the atmosphere.
2: Net zero by
1: 2050, blah, blah, blah. Build back better, blah, blah, blah. In the United States, scientists found that streets in poor areas... We're up to 3 to 10 degrees Celsius hotter. Of course, we can still turn this around. It is entirely possible.
0: I am Caroline Lewis, the co-host for Season 2 of House on Fire. And with me today is my colleague, Katrina. Take it away.
1: Welcome back to House on Fire, a youth-led climate podcast that aims to get you to wake up, One of the reasons I got into the climate movement was because all of the many solutions that are already present. All we need is action. And my hope is that this podcast will get you to do that. My name is Katrina Irwin. I'm a recent college graduate and an associate program manager at the Clio Institute. I am on a mission to give you all the youth perspective of the climate movement and bring on many other youth climate hosts to help guide me in this effort
0: today on House on Fire, we have three powerful female leaders who will share their insights into the climate crisis, describe their work and lessons learned. We want to explore with these powerhouse ladies, how best to push big solutions. So please join me in welcoming our guests. We have Thais Lopez Vogel trustee and co-founder of the Volo Foundation that works to simplify climate science and promote data-driven solutions. We also have Dawn Sheriffs, who is the Florida Director at Environmental Defense Fund, and that group focuses completely on game-changing climate solutions. And then we're also very lucky to have one of my personal favorites, Yoka Aditi Rocha, who is the executive director of the Clio Institute, our nonprofit that educates and motivates masses to support bold climate action. So clearly these three ladies have common agendas and we're going to hear from them about how they think it's working and what they want to see more of. Just so that everyone knows, the three of us, The three foundations, Volo, EDF, and Clio work together. So we're all firm colleagues and good friends. So in the conversation today, you may hear us sort of uh, talking over each other, and that's okay. That's what friends do. (laughs) So let's get going. Let me let you hear from these ladies who they are and what they do. Starting with you, Thais, tell us a little bit about you. Who are you? What do you do? And why is the climate crisis so important to you?
3: Well, thank you for having me here. First of all, uh, powerful women, I like that. I am uh, an attorney by trade, I philanthropist by heart, and trustee of Bolo Foundation. My husband, David Vogel, is an MIT graduate, and uh, we believe that data is important when you present anything you do. I think there is a saying that says, "If if you don't have data, you're just someone with an opinion. <laughs> so we back up everything with our data and with science. Uh, but most importantly, I'm a mother of six, and mm. they are the mother behind everything I do. And you're a
0: terrific mother. So your children, your six children, have you motivated, right? Definitely. Okay, I love that. Dawn, can you tell us a little bit about you, who you are, what do you do, and why is this climate crisis so important to you?
2: So I think it is important to note that moms have a whole different level of energy uh, around protecting what's what's coming you know, next, right? Not just in our lifetimes, but the lifetimes of our children and grandchildren. And so I think that is a huge piece of why we have this amazing collection of powerful women on this uh, episode today. Uh, so I am the Florida Director for the Environmental Defense Fund, which is a global organization that has been working to address the hardest environmental challenges uh, in the world since 1967. And so we really focused in on tackling the climate emergency through pragmatic solutions. And I am a, a not just a mom, but I'm a Florida mom, right? So uh, having the opportunity to live in this beautiful state that is extremely vulnerable to a number of climate uh, risks really drives me to ensure that, you know, we can preserve it, we can address this problem, um, not not in the future, but now.
0: Thank you, Dawn. So, so true and so important. Yoka, you tell us about you. What are you doing? Why are you here? And what really has you in this climate fight? You brought me here. Did yes, I did. <laughs> I want to find this fee for finding yoga. She's the best thing that happened to me in the last decade. Uh,
4: well, first of all, I'm so excited to be here with all of you uh, just 2 days before Mother's Day recording this special episode. And I think, you know, I was born um, in the Caribbean, a Latina who really grew up in in very close to the natural world and and my father from my early years took me out into into nature and and really Instilling in me that passion to, to protect our, our beautiful planet we call home. And, you know, a long time ago when I became a mother, there, there's a shift on priorities. And when I started to learn about our global heating issues, I decided I could not stay still. I realized I was part of that problem and I was going to become part of the solution. And so here I am. Uh, but I'm looking forward to this conversation and I know it's going to be a fantastic one.
0: Okay, this is awesome. So you can see why we're excited. So let me just pose this question to all of you. But let me start with you, Chais. Why? Is it the motherhood thing? Why do you think so many more women are the leaders in the climate fight?
3: I don't want to sound bad to the fathers, but definitely the mothers. <laughs> we feel it from the moment we, we have them inside. And even if you don't have them inside, you have mothers that adopt kids. You have uh, other kind of relationships. But we are the ones that are there when they are sick, when we feed them 24-7. There are wonderful fathers out there. But uh, women also are the ones that act. When you see a relationship, men and women, they think, but we act and we want action now. So I think as mothers, uh, as women, because of our nature, we are more doers than thinkers. And that is why I think the climate uh, action has more women involved. Well said. I really agree
0: with that. Dawn uh, Yoko, do you want to add anything to that? Well, I think you know
4: we are doers. We're multitaskers. We're nurturers. In the global South, we are in charge of fetching water, growing our food, taking care of the elderly, taking care of the children, and we get shit done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: well said.
2: Uh, you know, there's some really interesting research on the styles of uh, women leaders and and male leaders. And the truth is that we're we're more inclusive in decision making. Uh, we we approach negotiations with more compassion. Um, And there's a a lot of reasons why I think that makes women a really strong fit for leadership in the environmental movement.
0: Well, I, I hear you. And I hope all of us understand the power we have to bring more women in. And I look at Jane Fonda and what she's trying to do now. And I think, man, that is a woman leader that's waking up all the other women. So we love the concise explanation that women are more doers than thinkers and we really have the attitude of we can fix this so we want to take it on but what do we mean by fixing this we're in a climate crisis we all know greenhouse gases are building up too much of that outgoing heat is not getting out it's staying here on the planet and in the oceans and what we have is a hyper awareness of adaptation and a lot of funding of adaptation But we don't really talk about mitigation, about the greenhouse gases, about switching it up so that we don't just think we can adapt our way out of this. So I want to ask you, Dawn, as an EDF leader, how can we build the political and economic will to address the causes of climate change with, with great impact in what we're doing?
2: Yeah, it's an important question because certainly we didn't get to uh, agreement about sea level rise and the need for adaptation overnight. Uh, It took time to really establish for for businesses, for homeowners, for governments, the direct link between the costs that they were seeing and climate. And I think that has really taken hold. And that's why you see really across the, the globe, you know, bipartisan support for action on adaptation. We now need to take that same step and really make sure that folks in agriculture are connecting their losses in crops or their increased costs in labor to you know heat and changes in rainfall. We need folks to understand that the costs of our energy are on the rise in in Florida, for instance, we're looking at five to seven and a half percent increases on energy just based on climate change over the next 20 years. And so we really need to be able to connect the dots for people because over and over again, every poll will show you that the economic uh, livelihood, you know, people's livelihoods, their ability to feed their family, that is the first thing that they are going to focus on when they're making their decisions in a voting booth. We need them to understand the relationship between their personal health and wealth and action on the climate. And I think we have a real opportunity to do that in this moment.
0: Awesome. And connecting the dots is something all of us on this podcast today really have been working on. But sometimes, you know, you connect the dots and they just wave them away. So can we just talk a little bit about the state level, the national level and the global level? At the state level, what's really preventing Florida from being a leader
3: in mitigation? Chais? I have to say it's the willpower of the governor, The any, anybody that's representing us. It's not only the governor, the mayors. We have the solutions. We focus on solutions when you go to volofoundation.org. You will see that we have the solutions itself. As a matter of fact, we, we are pro-carbon cashback. We don't wanna say it's carbon price because you are gonna benefit from it. We are paying right now what the big corporations that emit the most should be paying. If we put a carbon cash back or carbon price to what they do, the burden is away from the everyday person and it goes to them. They are the major emitters. So it's definitely the will of the politicians. Go ahead. Excellent. Well said. Yoki, you want to add something about our state?
4: Well, I, I think uh, Thais is spot on. I think we ha- definitely have the technological solutions. We're lacking that political and society will. We need to be pressuring our political electeds more on the issue. I think also big interest utilities are, have a, a stranglehold in our state legislature, as we have seen in the last few legislative session in Florida, where important clean energy legislation have not been able to move through our legislature. And so, you know, we have been seeing a great advance in our adaptative efforts, as you mentioned earlier, but hitting that news button for many, many years now and what is, you know, of uh, the mitigation and the kind of clean energy policy that we can be seizing, especially Especially in current times where we are in the midst of a war driven by petrodictators dictators like Rosha, So I think, you know, this is a, in, an inevitable way that when we're really in the clean, just uh, transition, we're going to be heading there no matter what. Right now, we are, we're, we're doing so with the brakes on. Uh, and I think inedible, the, that train will leave the station very soon.
3: Well said. And if I may, yes. I want to say for our listeners that sometimes are not as um, into the, the terminology on, on the climate that I always compare it with a disease. We are treating the disease with these antibiotics, with this medicine, but we're not treating the cause of the disease. So adaptation is just a Band-Aid but you're not treating, they have to go hand-in-hand, adaptation and mitigation. So if you are putting $2 million in adaptation, my friend, let me tell you, you're throwing your money away. Because anyone, any of the the politicians that tell you that they're putting money in adaptation, they're using your money, taxpayer, throwing it away because they're not going to the cause of the problem. Well said. You know, I'm going to send you
0: both of you, all of you, just to go meet with Governor DeSantis, because I do think that you make the case that we cannot adapt our way out of this. And there is money to be made in transitioning to clean energy. So the state of Florida is missing a chance to really be a leader in the climate crisis here, I think. Yoka.
4: And I think, you know, as Tai said, the analogy is, you know, we're mopping the floor without turning that faucet and, and, and our bathtub keeps overflowing. So we're really throwing a lot of money away and not really investing with equal intensity in mitigation solutions.
0: And before we leave the state issue and move on to the national issue of how we can make our nation do more, let's just put the cards on the table. Utilities are still playing the lying game. They're pretending that methane natural gas is what they call it, but methane is clean. So when they're talking about their clean energy portfolio, they're including methane. And I am livid about that. And I will call out anybody who tries to do that because the harvesting of methane and the methane leaks at all these abandoned wells makes it like 10 to 20 times dirtier than oil and coal with respect to greenhouse gas buildup. Dawn, you have well, one and of- to that
2: point Caroline yeah. I mean we are one of the lar- Florida is one of the largest states in the Union and we are 75 percent reliant on natural gas for our energy production
4: mostly for so the
2: scale of that is really concerning and it's multiple billions of dollars a year that are going out of state to purchase, you know, that fuel to import it so that we can have electricity. And this is the sunshine state. So that's absurd from an economic perspective, as well as from an environmental.
0: Okay, Dawn, let me transition you to then the the national argument, because it's not just Florida and the utilities that are calling this, I hate the word natural gas, let's call it like methane, what it is. Methane is the predominant um, component of natural gas. But The lie that it's a transition fuel is also spoken about, not just in Florida and our utilities, but nationally as well. Even with the Obama administration and now with the Biden. Now, I agree we just can't turn it all off. But to keep thinking that we can use natural gas because it's so clean is infuriating. The nation as a whole, our country, is not a leader in climate mitigation. Dawn, why do you think that is and what can we do?
2: You know, we've had this long resistance to having a national standard for renewable energy and for energy efficiency, which is such low hanging fruit that we can do more with less energy production. Uh, And then we don't need to worry about unintended consequences on, you know, overburdened communities for new plants, right? We, We can change the way that we do business by making sure that we have, you know, some benchmarks that would that companies would be held accountable to. And we need to move that along at a national level. We can't um, pretend like it's okay if, if my state doesn't have coal, but I'm importing it from the state next door. Right. Water doesn't understand, you know, political boundaries. Neither does air. It is collectively impacting us. And I think, you know, Looking at the national um, conversation, every state is going to experience climate impacts, but there are those states among us like Florida, that are going to face an outsized portion early on. and if those states are not taking the lead in the actual cause of the problem, and admittedly, no single state can can you know reduce carbon emissions to a level uh, b- by themselves to stop the climate from changing but They each have to take responsibility for the pieces that they can do if we're going to get to enough of a meaningful reduction um, to keep us on track. And so it's this little, you know, every state watching to see who's going to go first and really a lack of bold leadership at a national level that can make us sort of, you know, change the paradigm of how we've been doing business as usual.
0: Okay, well, hold on to that thought, because towards the end of this, I want you to share some of your hopes about how we can incentivize our states. But the same problem you describe is happening worldwide. Yoka, you've been present at the UN Conference of Parties and at the Paris Agreement and stuff. Globally, what is preventing us from really mobilizing the whole world and every country into lowering its carbon emissions?
4: I think really what... I wouldn't say that it's stopping us, I think it's just we're moving at a, at a, at a very slow pace. Um, we definitely have seen major movements since 2015 from the Paris Agreement Accord um, signage. Obviously, uh, the, the previous administrations took us backwards and the whole and the majority of the world follows suit. We we were really stagnating there for a while, but nonetheless, I think these efforts are worthy and they're really creating traction. Probably not as fast as we wanted to see it. Obviously, the signals and the climate emergency is just um, obviously the the damaging already is it's great, very great. But nonetheless, I think the 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 world is moving forward. Um, COP 26 uh, in Glasgow was far from perfect, but there were some really big commitments made, and I think for for COP 27 uh, we'll see even bigger commitments. And I think you know all of us get really tied into the all or nothing kind of dilemma, and and this is incremental building progress, and it is very difficult to get the entire world. Working towards the same solution. I mean, imagine when we all go to—I don't know—in a trip with friends or family, just to f- deciding where to go to dinner, it's a hassle. So imagine getting the entire world, all governments, to try to uh, come together and, and and really moving into the same direction. But nonetheless, I think this is a battle that we are winning. Not as fast, again, uh, but definitely moving forward. And, and I think the, the global United Nations effort is a, is a needed framework for all of us to follow and to support. Can it be better? Absolutely. But we can't be, you know, let uh, perfect be the enemy of the good. So in that sense, we're hopeful for this upcoming COP to be a lot more robust and bold than we saw in Glasgow.
3: Amen. Thais? You know, I think of the, the global problem, and it comes from the education and what we Talk to our kids, and what I tell them It's not about blame; it's about responsibility. I feel that we, when when we talk about globally, uh, we say, "Well, China produces more, or India mm-hmm. produces more," and and it's this battle of, "Well, if they're doing it, why are we why are we going to pay for this?" Stop blaming each other. Please uh, feel and conduct and, and and realize that we're adults, and the, uh, that we are all parties, red and blue. we're we're getting affected by the the climate problem. Chinese, Indians, and, and Americans are getting affected by this. So the day that we realize that we're not trying to blame on each other, that is a responsibility as an adult and as a country and as a politicians to fix what was wrong. It was wrong in the past, we have the solutions, let's just fix it and let's stop blaming each other. Well, listen to me. What I'd like to do is to get you
0: a crane and a megaphone so you can share that <laughs> message. Because, no, Thais, here's my frustration. My frustration is we've known about the crisis. We've been connecting the dots. We know it's not just a warming world and rising seas and melting ice. It's about saltwater intrusion. It's about heat and health vulnerability. It's about food and water vulnerability. It's about populations being displaced and migration patterns changing. And it's about the scope of the vulnerable population on the planet not being able to prepare for or recover from. So my big question to all of you is, should we require climate literacy as a prerequisite for running for office? Because the climate crisis is a political issue. It's not a partisan issue, but it needs a political and economic will. Should we require that? Because I don't think they all get it. Or oh, if they get it, they're not connecting the dots well enough.
3: You know, my motto, I stole it from my school. I come from the Emil Friedman. There is no music without cultural music. Um, there is no cultura sin cultura musical in Spanish. So I always say there's no future without environmental education. Mm-hmm. And uh, it should not only be a requirement. It should be a requirement in school mm-hmm. from day one yes, sister. To, mm-hmm. to teach our kids how to treat the environment? How to be a better uh, steward to the environment? So it is for everybody.
0: I agree, Yoka. You and I have been pushing this education thing for a long time.
3: A long time, and
4: really, I mean, when you're when you're seeing schools that are on the front line of the climate emergency, like we are here in Florida, and we have one of the biggest school districts in the in the nation. And they only touch upon the climate crisis as a, as a kind of a natural cycle, and barely. I mean, if the students are not going through AP classes or IB classes they don't really get immersed into into what is happening and these are are the future leaders of the world um, business leaders of our community possible elected officials so i think climate education climate literacy must be a must for all of us to really get us climate ready because this is inedible uh, the biggest existential threat we are all facing
0: and, and today, my co-host, Katrina Irwin, who is a, a young staff member with CLEO, could not be here. She's celebrating her birthday. But, you know, they are really fed up of the talk without the action. And so they, a lot of them in high school, like Yoka just said, first find out about the climate crisis in AP Environmental Science. We want to fix that. We want every college to have a required freshman class on that because... This is not just a reduce, reuse, recycle problem. This is planet changing problem. Dawn, I was wondering if you have any insights about how education and requiring climate literacy can maybe help us move the needle.
2: You know, children lead our lead their families in surprising ways. Right. And, and I, I'll be honest, you know, we've seen um, just in our own home, I mean, they're not it's not education uh formal from books as as the only source anymore um we're you know we're going out into, into the environment and, and you're i'm listening to my five-year-old explain to me why it's really bad to see trees cut down and hmm. you know talking about energy efficiency um, I- in ways that you know i would never have understood um at that age but it is part of their lived experience and we need to be able to to sort of have them take those messages home to you know their parents who are voting and to um you know policymakers who really are are planning a future for them and so I do think that you know we need to find a way to formalize it in school but we also need to make sure that it is woven because it is into in every part of our health and our lifestyle that can that can be changed if we don't address it. And so how do we make it part of you know, a cadence of dialogue that happens both inside and outside school.
0: All right. So the people on this podcast today, we all have children of different ages, right? The whole idea of the climate crisis that prevent a lot of parents and a lot of teachers, quite frankly, from bringing it up is the anxiety it creates. And they do not want to make the kids anxious. How do you respond to that?
3: Thais? Listen, I don't create any anxiety (laughs) on my kids. And you know what's amazing? As a mother, as a person, and there is a saying, it says, environmental work at the speed of light. Communities work at the speed of trust. Kids trust their teachers. Kids trust their parents. It just depends on how you present it. And it's amazing. Whenever I feel bad because I'm away from my kids, because I'm in a conference, I was uh, just at EDF these past two days in San Diego, and when I come back, uh, my kids say, or when they go to school and they tell them, "Where's your mom?" Oh, she's saving the environment. <laughs> there is nothing more rewarding for a mother or for a community to own it. When a community owns their projects, it's not someone that come tell you. It's like, my mom, it's saving the environment. My mom is doing something. I think every woman out there should feel ready to do ready to talk, ready to act just because your kids are looking and they're looking at what you do and they're, they, they, it's more what you do than what you say. We always say, don't do as I do. <laughs> say. Do, <laughs> do as I do. Do as I do, exactly. And they're looking at us. So I think that um, the way you present this problem is what's going to create the anxiety or not. Beautiful. And I do, I do fully agree with you. We
0: model it. Mm -hmm. And so how we communicate it matters. Yoka, what do you want to say about this?
4: You know, I think from our kids' perspective, we are some sort of superhero. And I think all of of us women working in climate and so many other women working in so many important fields have red capes in their closet. (laughs) And in some cases, you know, I feel like there's so much uh, trust and so much hope in the work that we do that sometimes they get a little complacent. And I'm like, why did you leave the lights on? <laughs> oh, Mom, you're saving the planet. I'm like, yeah, but I work really hard every day. So you need to turn the
2: light. <laughs> and every bit helps. <laughs> and <right>? every bit <laughs> helps. <laughs>
4: um, but nonetheless, I think, in knowing that the solutions that are there always talking about hope because I think one thing that all of us share is that the notion that this is a solvable issue and and that is important that is important also for the Clio Institute as an organization you and I have always worked about you know talking about the solutions that exist the technological solutions are also the society societal solutions because there are many as you know empowering resilient women and girls educating women and girls closing the gender gap those are all very important solutions solutions um, that we have in our in our toolbox to solve the climate crisis. So always, you know, talking from a sense of hope is important, not only for our children, but for our community and for our work.
0: Well said. So the whole idea of elected positions, these are public servants, right? I can say, I think if you run for office, you want to serve the public, right? You're a public servant. Well, public servants have to understand what kind of service is needed in the climate crisis. So, I want education from K to gray. So I'm going to give each of you a chance now to talk about two things. Your hopes with respect to the climate crisis and what you wish your legacy will be when your children look on what you did 20, 30, 40 years from now, look back at their mothers, what do you want them to say their mom did? So think about those two things. You have a magic wand. What do you hope can happen? And what do you wish your legacy will be? Who
3: would like to start? I'll I'll come from the philanthropist's side. As a philanthropist, I think the definition is to give without expecting anything in return. I want to be a different philanthropist because I like to do everything different. I do want something in return. I give, but I want to impact the world. I want the world to wake up and act after I give you something. It's not just, here it is, go to sleep. Mm -hmm. We give our politicians our trust for them to work for us, I want you to do something, mm-hmm. you understand? It's not just in political year that you're going to tell me everything I want to hear and then I trust you and then the next year. I'm going to hold you accountable for that. Okay, I love that. How do you do that? <laughs> like, like what kind of deals do you make up front, guys I'm, I'm learning from you. I don't know. You know mo- much better. But in a state as uh, Florida, I feel like we are missing So many opportunities. We have so many resources, natural resources, especially. We're the sunshine state. We should be the sun power state. Mm -hmm. It's right there in front of our eyes. So anyone that's not doing the most is not doing enough. And if if we're one of the states, and that's one my magic one, and I hope it works for these uh, elections— is to get a commitment. I cannot understand how Florida hasn't committed to a 2050 uh, net zero state or a 2030 even better, Mm -hmm. okay? Many other states that that don't have the amount of resources that we have have already done it. Why haven't we done that? And as far as the legacy, um, I don't need my name as long as I see my kids healthy and happy in a world that is not going to be... Bringing worse and more disastrous hurricanes because that's what's going to happen. In an air contamination, in water contamination where my kids cannot be healthy. And in, in a world where they can go outside and play a game of soccer without dying of heat. <laughs> that is my reward. I don't need the legacy. I just need their happiness.
0: Bless you. And I hope it all comes true. Yoka? I think... You know, from my kids' perspective,
4: I want them to remember me as relentless in in knowing that everything that I've worked for, you know, the last two decades has been for them. I think I want to be able to inspire others to follow suit. Um, my fellow friends, family members, my community, um, my members of the organization and everybody we touch upon because this is a, a solvable issue that we all must be part of. We all have a role to play, small or large. And honestly, I, I just want to m- at least know that I've done everything I can in my capacity to make the world a better place and do what I think as a mother, all of us want, which is to create a most um, just and healthy and livable future
3: for all especially us Latino mothers. (laughs) We really, really fight for those kids when anything threatens us. We'll chop anybody's
4: head head if they get in our way. We have become the
0: mama bears. (laughs) Like, don't mess with my kids. (laughs) That's not going to happen on my time.
2: Dawn, what do you have to say? You know, for the first time in my lifetime, we have contemplated really meaningful national clean energy um, goals. And while we are you know, not yet across the finish line for having those policies pass Congress. I think the fact that we are moving into that conversation, we are ready to move the needle. Um, we've got to cut emissions from electric generation by at least 80% below 2005 levels by 2030. And that means now because it's we're running out of time. Mm-hmm. I'm really hopeful that we can actually get uh, bipartisan support to get that done. And I think it will be short term. You know, in terms of legacy, um that there's uh, something I say in my house all the time, which is love is a verb. Um, it is an ah, action. Love it. And I want uh, my family at, to to sort of remember me as somebody who showed up um, and didn't talk mm-hmm. and continued to, to put that love into action, love for my family, love for my planet, uh, love for my state, and, you know, find their own ways to serve their communities and serve, you know, each other um, as they, you know, move into, into their lives.
0: Gosh, that's, that's just wonderful. And I think it's also true. You guys are making me think about my legacy too. And my daughters have already told me that they think my legacy is going to be, she died trying to save us all. <laughs> One last question I wanted to ask is what would your message be to the listeners of our house on fire podcast, who are mothers, who are thinking of becoming mothers and
3: want to be engaged at some level, what would your message to them be? Speak out. Climate change is happening now. It's happening to us and it shouldn't be politicized. It shouldn't. We shouldn't be afraid of it because as we said over and over, we have the solutions. So you as a mother, as a friend, as a Teacher, you have to go out there and speak about the problem. And the thing about climate is that you can either get paralyzed for the extremely complex uh, subject that it is or you can fall in love with the creativity of the solutions and that's what happened to me. If you educate yourself, if you look Volo Foundation on Instagram, Facebook, we educate you, you will see that we have the solutions. And when I say speak up, it's also speak up with the people that are going to represent you up there. Speak up and vote. Amen.
0: I love that. Yoga
3: what would you say? Yeah, use the power of your voice, use the power of your
4: vote, use the power of your purse. I think um to to all the mothers and the mothers to be, you know, there's one thing that we all want, which is to protect our children and to make sure they have a livable future. We ca- we care about their food they eat, the schools they go to, Ensuring that they have a safe and livable climate needs to be priority. And sadly enough, we only have about four election cycles to make a difference. So to all the mothers out there, to all the um, upcoming voters out there, we need to make sure that we are voting for climate uh, prone candidates, no matter from what side of the aisle. This needs to be the top priority for all of us out there. So I encourage all the moms out there. We need an army of moms uh, to join us
0: and an army of young people who uh, are already at our
4: side. Well, they have organized. We can yeah. see them. We can hear them.
0: Well, the Gen Clio movement that Yoka and I oversee is a generation of climate leaders, mostly high school and college age kids. And man, they are ramped up and they are taking no prisoners and they're asking all the hard questions. And we do this podcast because of that youth lens that's so determined to see change. Dawn, what would your message be?
2: It, it is really important that, that all moms understand their incredible power. Um, you already have the power you need to make the changes in your life. And we need you to step up to help us tackle climate change. We need your time. We need your voice. We need your power to you know address this collectively to really make that better future for all of our children.
0: So true. Well, we're going to offer a challenge to our listening audience with this episode of House on Fire, but we're gonna ask the listeners to videotape a 10 to 30 second response about your hopes for the future and this climate crisis and how you see us turning the corner in in meaningful ways. Because the information is depressing and the only thing that gives us hope is solutions. We would love your voice. Look out for that challenge. Joan Bias
4: used to say, action is the antidote to despair. So let us all get into action
0: mode. So I think today's podcast really showed you that when we step up to the table, women in particular, but not only women, and we really don't want to just talk about it. We want to act. There's great change that we can effect. And here to the powerful women in this room, the people they have touched, and the people who are listening to this podcast who will then ripple with the impact that we can all have in this climate crisis. Thank you for joining us today.
4: Thank you for having us. Thank you.
0: House on Fire is powered by the Clio Institute and could not exist without the help of the Lynn and Lewis Wolfson II mm-hmm. Family mm-hmm. Foundation. Thank you so much for making this happen.
1: Here at the Clio Institute, we believe that the best way to get people into the climate movement is through education. And one of the best ways to do that is by sharing House on Fire with your friends and family. So don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to our podcasts. And House on Fire can be found on all channels where podcasts are available.